0: And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your Radio
1: MD.
2: Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. We're in Tampa Bay, Florida. We are an iHeart station, and incidentally, you can reach me anywhere in the world at am860theanswer.com. That's am860theanswer.com. You just Google that. And you'll come to our website, click listen live on Sunday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you got me. I'm all yours, baby. I'm all yours. So we were just talking about the Kentucky Derby before the show, Bill and I. And uh, I'm headed up there this week. I'm uh, taking the first vacation days I've had since, gosh, October of of the fall of of, uh, last year and so I'm looking forward to that. We have worked our little butts off this year. The office was extremely busy, not only with Canadians but with Americans coming in as well. And we're grateful, but we're exhausted. And I was telling Bill about being at the Derby when Secretariat ran. Now for those of you who are not horse aficionados, Secretariat was the great stallion of the 20th century And he is heralded as the greatest horse of all times, of of the thoroughbreds, the racing horses. He broke the track records almost everywhere he went. He won the the final race at the Belmont, I believe, by 27 or 28 lengths, which is just ungodly, unbelievable. And nobody has come close to breaking his times, uh, his track times or his record yet. Triple crown winner. So I'm, I was in college or medical school first year, I can't remember, Seventy three, nineteen seventy three, 1973. And you could get into the infield then for a few bucks. And so a bunch of us headed out there with our coolers and all of our accoutrements. And we got into the infield, worked our way to the back stretch, which is the first part of the track the, of the oval. And the derby runs at about the ninth or tenth race there's several races throughout the day. It's a a track meet, quote, meet, which means there's multiple races, just like a swimming meet. And by the ninth or 10th, everybody in the infield is pretty well under the weather, or however you want to say it, schnookered, or has had a few beers too many. And they had the National Guard, I don't know if they still have that, but the National Guard were there in the 60s and 70s because of the large crush of baby boomers and all the problems we caused uh, the country and the world. And so by that time, though, they've lost interest. And I was telling Bill that it's really something to see at the Kentucky Derby that when they blow the horn for the horses to come when they do the trumpet sound for the horses to come to the gate something like that everything stops at churchill downs i mean chefs uh people who are working in the in the barns in the uh paddock area police national guardsmen i mean everybody literally drops what they're doing and comes running out if they're inside, to the track, to the rail, uh, to somebody's box, and, and you'll be sitting there and all of a sudden you stand up and there's the whole kitchen crew standing right with you and we're all one, big mass of people. And so I climbed up on the chain link fence on the railing of the of the track on the back stretch, and at that time they started the horses back in what they called the chute, and it was just a long straight run into the oval track. Now they start them in the oval, just back away from the starting line, uh, so that the public can see more of it. But at that time, uh, it was it was uh, coming out of the chute. Why? Because the track's only a mile mile around in in uh, circumference, and it's a mile and a quarter race, so they have to add another quarter mile on somehow. So here I am, climbing up on this chain link fence, about eight or ten feet above above the ground. And there's maybe 10 yards between me and the railing of the track. And I'm hanging on there swinging back and forth. And I forget if it was 20 or 21 of these thoroughbreds come running down the backstretch. And these animals are almost a ton each. I mean, they're big animals. Some of them are huge. And you get 20 or 21 of them come running by you. And they're all pretty packed in at that point. They haven't broken into uh, 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 the various lineups of who's a fast runner and who's going to hang back and all that. And it, it's like a race car event when you have them all come off of the starting line. It, it's just unbelievable. And the ground just shakes. I mean, you would think it's an earthquake. It is unbelievable. So I'm hanging on on the on this backstretch on the fence, and I'm I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, Secretariat, Secretariat, God on earth, God on earth. And, of course, for Kentuckians, it's a big deal because Secretariat represents the, the finest of the races and the racing horses that, that we have seen run it, at the Churchill Downs. Unbelievable. any rate, so we're headed up there. And I'm, I'm going to try and get a press pass from the station. I don't think they'll give me one with the station's name on it because of their uh, restrictions by their, uh, their lawyers and the, the – Liabilities that are involved in in giving a, a radio show, talk host somebody who buys airtime, uh, their their name to parade around. But at any rate, I'm going to see if I can get in there. If I can get into the winner's circle if, after the race is over, and uh, maybe snatch a quick interview of of the jockey or the trainer or the governor of Kentucky or somebody. We'll see if, we'll see what happens there. I did make it in for the Kentucky Oaks one year. The Kentucky Oaks is run on Friday. That's the day before Saturday, uh, which is the Derby Day. The Derby Day is the first Saturday in May. And by the way, it's the oldest continuous sporting event in the United States and perhaps in Canada, too. I don't know. It's. Uh, I think we're in our 150th or 51st, 52nd year. I forget which running this is. So it's a long-running event, and it is very prestigious. It still commands the greatest number of of uh, viewers and of people coming to the track of any race that's run in the United States or Canada that I know of. So I think it was 1979 we were at the Derby and I had brought my 105 millimeter box camera. There were no digital cameras back then. It was all film. And I had a tripod and uh, all the accoutrements that go with my 105-millimeter camera, a camera bag, and all that. And I look pretty official. And so I walked down to the paddock area after the Kentucky Oaks had been run. And these are the premier fillies of the United States running for uh, the, the roses. Uh, they're three-year-olds. It's open only to three-year-old fillies. And so I went down there, and I'm at the paddock, and uh, I'm at the door, the little gate let you into the chute and there's a cop there and i said press and he opened the door and i walked on out and so i'm walking across the track the race track and i look to my left and there's willie shoemaker now willie shoemaker was uh, the most famous jockey of the second half of the 20th century uh he was really something and I asked him what he thought of the race, and he was a gruff guy, and he it was okay. So I figured he'd bet and lost some money on it. So I get out there. I'm in the winner's circle, and there's the lieutenant governor, there's the president of the track, there's the owner, the trainer, and all the people that go along with it. The, the uh, groom, the groom is the is the person who actually has a one-on-one relationship with the horse and makes sure that they're fed and curried and hot walks them and does all the other things that are required of taking care of a, of a, a big animal like a horse. And so there's AP, UPI, Sports Illustrated, and the racing forum and daily racing times and all these different and various news agencies that are out there with their 35 millimeter cameras, snapping pictures, which will be sent around the world. So I set up right in the middle of them and I've got my 105 millimeter camera. It's a big box camera. I've got it on the tripod and I get everything set up and I said, all right, everybody look at me for the official track picture. Now, of course this is not the official track picture. I still have it up there in a box in in the uh, ping pong room and, uh, and so everybody I mean everybody just stopped the whole world stopped for me in that instant, and everybody, including the horse, looked at me white star line I mean they all looked at me and they held still for a few seconds, and I snapped a picture and i said i 've got it and I folded up my camera and my tripod, and I went back up into the stands <laughs> and so I have a picture of White Star Line with the lieutenant then Lieutenant Governor of Kentucky. And all the track officials and the owner and the trainer and the jockey, uh, just unbelievable. And it's 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 quite a, a pageant to see. It's it's a lot of fun. But that's my story about the Derby. And I'll be up there this week. Let's see if I can get into the winner's circle, and maybe snap a picture and get a, a short interview with one of the high ups, like the governor of Kentucky or the owner, uh, the president of the track or the owner of the pony. We'll see who wins. I don't have any favorites yet, so we've just been so busy i haven't had time to sit down and study the racing forms and and see which horses uh, are are going to really shine in this race we'll get to that later though now i want to shift over after after that little aside about part of my prior lifetime and talk about the first hundred days because that's what the whole country is excited about and everybody's a buzz has trump done what he said he's going to do has he accomplished as much as we thought he would? Uh, is anybody upset other than the left wing press? And what has he accomplished and what he has he not accomplished? And I, I think that we need to sit down a minute and take stock and you know I'm open to some input today. Because I think this is something that we all need to discuss and, and have some input on, and I am at eight seven seven nine six nine eight six zero zero eight seven seven nine six nine eighty six hundred, and you can call me anytime during the show today, and I'm going to talk about what I see and perceive and what we have seen Trump do in, in the past one hundred days, which legislatively may not have been exactly what we wanted but certainly he's done a lot in the area of foreign affairs and executive orders and proclamations and although a lot of these are are just uh, ceremonial some of them are substantial and meaningful and and we need to take a look and see what's going on with this guy and with our our country and our president and whether or not he's on track and doing what we thought he would do. Now, one thing that he has done, uh, which is controversial is that he's ordered his secretary of the treasury to review the Frank Dodd, wall street reform act and the consumer protection act. These two acts were passed in 2009. They were meant to safeguard against another financial meltdown like we had in the first decade of this century. And a lot of it had been blamed upon uh, Wall Street banks and uh, mortgage companies that were shaky, to say the least. And this is going to be a big fight. Now, the complexity of financing, especially for somebody like me, has increased exponentially since 2009, in part because of this this Reform Act that the Democrats passed. And a lot of it is good, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to making sure that we don't have a, uh, abuses of the financial system by the big Wall Street bankers, but we also have to remember that there were very, very few people that were actually involved in this, and that most of the departments of the big banks, the big uh, Wall Street banks and investment banks were above board and we're doing a good job and we're making money for the company and for the United States. So we've got this act. And I gotta tell you that because of this, getting a home loan for somebody like me has become extremely difficult. You know, we applied for a refinance of our house, I believe it was in August or September of last fall. And it literally took us six months to get the loan approved. And we're making good money. You know, we're doing fine. And we're in the black. And we have very little debt other than uh, real estate debt, which I realize is of great concern to a lot of people. And admittedly, that was the axis around which the great crash of the first decade of the century occurred, that that the recession was directly linked to the real estate, financing of real estate, abuse of the financing. And it was at all levels from the littlest guy who was painting somebody's house on a redo with money that they had gotten from refinancing their home, which had gone up exponentially, had been inflated up to big Wall Street firms that had played the quote-unquote derivatives. Basically, they were betting whether these big groups of mortgage loans that are packaged and sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac by mortgage companies and banks, whether they would go up or down, puts and calls, all these kinds of things. A little bit over my head, but basically it's a form of high-finance gambling. And it had involved it involved uh, pension plans, it involved retirement plans, it involved uh, big money market accounts, uh, big mutual fund accounts. A bunch of, of these entities had used some of these uh, risky betting type of finance paper, whatever you want to call it, financial paper to enhance their program. And it came at great risk because they were betting on ups and downs, whether the mortgage market would go up or the mortgage market would go down, whether home prices would go up or home prices would go down. And a lot of people were betting on the upside. And of course it crashed, it was a bubble. And there were a lot of abuses at the little guy level, too. There were a bunch of little mortgage companies that had formed quickly, seeing an opportunity to make a quick buck, and had uh, pushed through a lot of bogus loans, inflated home prices, uh, in bed with the real estate appraisers, and it went on and on. And a lot of those guys actually did go to prison. Granted, it was minimum security prison, but they did get caught. We just didn't hear a lot about it. And when Obama came in, he made a big deal out of pushing through these reform bills. And so the president wants to take another look at them and see if he can loosen them up a little bit because he feels it's stifling the economy. Now, I got to tell you, for me and my wife, six months to get a home refinance loan is unbelievable. I can't tell you how many times I sent the same pieces of paper over and over and over again. Every deposit we made, they wanted to know where it came from. Well, you know, we'd send in our paychecks. We'd do trans transfer it all electronically. It's all done electronically now. But we'd send it in. They'd call us and say, we need a written statement saying where this came from. Well, dude, we're working. These are our paychecks. Doesn't matter. We still have to have that. And not only was it the loan processing officer, it was the mortgage banker. It was somebody else in the uh, underwriter's office calling us for the same pieces of paper over and over and over. Some of this is just the natural inefficiency of a big bureaucracy like a bank. But some of it is this, crazy overregulation, regulation where they want to know every penny where it's coming from. I understand. I understand that there were a lot of scam artists who were... How shall I say it? Well, I mean, they were depositing money that wasn't really earned. They were making bets on mortgages that weren't of any value and taking advantage of the system. I understand that. But come on, six months? Six months, and we're pretty solid. I mean, it's not like we've filed bankruptcy ever or that we were in the red. The business was doing well. The practice was making money. The office building, we had leased out more space than we had in years past, and it just uh, just amazed me what a ridiculous entanglement of paperwork had been created by all of this in the crash of 2008, 2009, 2007. So, I don't think the President's wrong in taking another look at this and having his Secretary of the Treasury delve into what is actually of value and what isn't. And, of course, Trump with his, how shall I say it, his broad (laughs) statements that are not necessarily uh, honed to one specific item or topic. Has a lot of people upset, including some of the uh, Federal Reserve people. The vice chairman said, don't undo the Frank Dodd Act. The economy has to have this. And as I've said about Trump, I don't think that he has any intention of undoing anything as major as this. But looking at what parts of it are Silly and worthless is, from my perspective, a good thing, because what we want to do is stimulate growth. We don't want to stifle it. We want healthy growth. We want legitimate, above-board, honest growth. But we don't need to put Dr. Bill and his wife through six months of paperwork hell to get refinancing for their house. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. And you would think that bringing somebody's interest rates from 5 or 6% to 4% so that their monthly payments are lower would be a good thing, especially if they're a good risk. It helps everybody. There's more disposable income. We can en- enact, effect more home repairs. We can take care of the office, get the parking lot potholes filled in fix the broken locks on the doors, whatever it is. And this makes work. It it provides jobs. It creates industry. It's of great value. Home Depot's happy. Lowe's is happy. The guy with the pickup truck's happy. The dumpster company's happy. Everybody's happy because Dr. Bill is doing better, and he can afford to fix a few things up, got an air conditioning going out at the office, now we can replace it. So let's, let's not judge Trump yet. As I said during the primaries, there were a number of items which I predicted he would recant or change or not be able to enact. And as I said, the wall would be too costly to build, the cost I estimated from the Texas border with New Mexico to the Gulf of Mexico would be over $20 billion, and the Congress was going to balk at that, even if he wanted to do it and sincerely meant to do it. And that's what we see. And I said, part of this will be a fence. There's already a fence from the Pacific Ocean to the Texas border, there's some parts of it that are. Uh, actually, barricades so that trucks and vehicles can't come across the border in the in the most remote parts of the desert. That it's highly unlikely anybody's going to trek across because there's just no no real resources there to survive. But there's a number of items that are that I've predicted and that I think that we'll see him amend his stand on. in in part because I don't think it's doable. In part because he has to work with Congress. For instance, on the health care bill, I said that what will happen is we'll have to expand Medicaid and get rid of some of the mandatory parts of Obamacare. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I think there are some good things coming out out of the House regarding amending Obamacare and fixing it up, like making it mandatory for people to have insurance for two years prior to a major event so that you can't just go into the emergency room with a heart attack or a hot gallbladder, and once they diagnose you, you call your your insurance broker or there's some insurance guy out in the waiting room who's ready to take your order, and you can get on Obamacare or whatever so that you don't end up with a $100,000 bill. And it's not fair that you just wait till the last minute to do it. There should be some requirements that you have to have insurance over a certain period of time unless you're indigent, in which case Medicaid will be expanded for that. At the state level, I think there will be block grants and regulations and rules that the states have to follow in order to incorporate those who are in need of health care and who don't make enough money. So if you're below 200% or above I'm sorry, below 200% of the poverty line. So if the poverty line is $20,000 and you're making $40,000 for a family of four, you'll be eligible for Medicaid. I don't have a problem with that. I think we're going to have to increase our Medicare and Social Security taxes. I don't see how we're going to continue to finance the system without putting more money into it. And also we need reforms on how much the hospitals and doctors and clinics can charge for self-pay. So if you're self-pay, there should be a cap on how much you can be charged. 150% of Medicare is a reasonable reasonable level from my point of view, and that's what we use in our office. And I think that that's more than fair. Medicare rates are pretty cheap. Compared to the rest of the world, I don't think you're going to get any better health care cheaper. And you can say, well, but, you know, in Denmark, they get free health care. They don't get free health care. They're paying 60 percent of their income in taxes. We were talking to a bellhop in Copenhagen, Denmark. Guy brought our bags up and he drove from Sweden over to Denmark, which is right across the, the bridge and the tunnel. They have a Chesapeake Bay type bridge and tunnel that links Copenhagen, Denmark with Malmo, Sweden. And we said, why do you come over here to work? He says, well, the taxes in Sweden are even higher than in Denmark. So he's coming over to Sweden, uh, to Denmark to work so he can uh, avoid some taxes. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see and you think, well, you know, it's a good system. This taxi driver, he said he can go to the ER anytime and he gets everything taken care of free. He had chest pain, real had a heart attack and all this, and he's going on and on. And I said, well, how much do you pay in income tax? He says, well, you know, that's just the other side of the coin. That's what you have to do if you want to live in a socialist society. And in a small country like Denmark, which is, I don't know, maybe 6 million people. can't be that big. That's what they do. I mean, they they join together in that way. And it's a fairly homogeneous population. Yes, there's a lot of immigrants, but most of the immigrants that I saw were busy working. They were driving taxis or working in restaurants. They were employed. And you say, well... A lot of the Mexicans that come up here, they're employed too. That's true. That's true. And when the jobs dried up in 08, 09, 010, 010, what is 010? 2010. They took off and headed back to Mexico. So I think that if you really stack everything up and make things equal and look at how much people are paying in taxes overseas for their socialized systems and what we have on a self-pay basis, we've got the cheapest healthcare system in the world. Absolutely, positively, I have no doubt in my mind. I've traveled to Europe and Asia and the Caribbean and Mexico. You say, well, you can get things done in Mexico a lot cheaper. Yeah, that's true. You can go down there and, and and get your plastic surgery or your hip replaced, or you can go to India. And now South Korea is a big um, medical travel spot. A lot of people go there for plastic surgery and dental surgery and all kinds of things that would be unobtainable in their home countries or highly expensive. And people come from China and from Thailand and from Japan to Korea for medical holidays to get work done, and it's unbelievable. There's a a lot of plastic surgery being done there, and it's pretty high-quality stuff too. And I can't fault the South Koreans for that, but is it cheaper than what we can do it for here? I don't know. And, of course, that's elective. And there's a lot of people in China now with money. And you say, well, there aren't that many. Well, if you have a billion people, which is three times our population, four times our population, three times. Yeah, three times. And there's a lot of cash flying around over there, then there are a lot of people. Percentage-wise, not as many as here, but absolute numbers, a lot, and go to Small country like South Korea, which is 50, 60 million people, it's a big boon to their economy. So we're in competition and we have kept our rates, our self pay rates, pretty low. And I think that any health care bill that we have enacted must have a cap on self pay rates for the hospitals and for the doctors and the clinics. And I think that that's a big portion of what will assist us, for those of us the 20 to 50, 20 to 40 range who don't want to carry health care insurance and get rid of this mandatory part of it. And I think Trump's on the right track with that. And Congress is on the right track and we need to make it portable so you can take your insurance with you wherever you go. We need to be able to sell interstate so that we have more competition instead of confining each insurance company to each state. It's terribly inefficient. You have to double your your uh, workforce. You have to apply for a corporate license and maintain that with all the lawyers and all the regulations in the individual states because you have to reduplicate everything. If you're Aetna or Blue Cross or whoever, if you go from Florida to Georgia to sell insurance, you have to set up a whole new company. So I think that we're on the right track there, and I'm I'm behind the president on that. Is he going to completely get rid of Obamacare? No. You know, basically Obamacare was just a big scam to to expand Medicaid, and it also has some preventative aspects, which I think are good. Uh, but there are some things that are, are not necessary. But there are some things that are very helpful, and I agreed with. So my predictions are coming true. And here's a prediction for you, folks. I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
1: With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. Authorities say fatalities have been reported and dozens of people were taken to hospitals last night after a tornado struck the small east Texas city of Canton. powerful storm swept through the area, leaving behind overturned vehicles and mangled trees. The government is investigating whether General Motors should add about 312,000 vehicles to a 2015 recall for headlights that can suddenly go dark. Apple is refusing to pay any royalties owed to mobile chipmaker Qualcomm for some of the features in the iPhone, escalating a patent feud that has turned the former business partners into bitter adversaries. And expedition organizers say famed Swiss climber Yuli Steck was killed in a mountaineering accident near Mount Everest in Nepal this weekend. He was preparing to climb Mount Everest next week. More details to come.
2: eight four six Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and... Competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795.
3: Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? That's 800-518-4020
0: My name is Henri I am a sommelier Because of this word and my fantastic accent You may believe I am speaking of wine I do not care for wine For me, my passion is nut milk And I care for no other nut milk Than Elmhurst Five simple ingredients. Cold meal for flavor. I could say opulent, yet simple. But our time together is over. Au revoir. Elmhurst Nut Milk for the most discerning connoisseurs of nut milk. Exclusively at Publix, where shopping is a pleasure.
3: Today will be warm and humid with clouds, sunshine, and a high of 93. Partly cloudy tonight, low 76. Breezy and warm tomorrow with partly cloudy skies and a high of 90. Then tomorrow night will be partly cloudy and humid with a shower, thunderstorm, and a low of 75. Partly cloudy Tuesday, a couple of showers and thunderstorms, high 86. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gigi Getz for AM 860 The Answer.
1: I got wounds to bind, so into the corner just to ease my pain.
3: Okay.
2: Let me know when you when I'm live. I'm up. Okay, I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. We've got a little bit of We Five and You Were On My Mind. And that was a song from the mid nineteen sixties. And she woke up and She had troubles and worries and a lot on her mind, not unlike the president. So Mr. Trump is, I think, doing a pretty good job given all that he's been up against. And we're talking about his first 100 days and some of the highlights for me. Now, he has stirred up the environmentalists with his directive to his Secretary of the Interior to look at federal lands, which had been off limits to drilling and also to offshore drilling to see what the opportunities were for producing more energy. By the way, it's not just oil. It's also wind farms and solar and tidal flow and different ways of extracting energy from the environment without burning fuel. That's fine with me. He hasn't actually had Congress allow him to open up anything for drilling yet, but at least we're taking a look at that. That's a good thing. Just the idea of looking at some of these things drives prices down, makes energy more affordable, and also gives us more confidence. He's also instructed as a Secretary of Commerce to take a look at each and every country that we have a trade deficit with, see how much it is, and do it on an item-by-item, product-by-product list, and draw that up and let's take a look and see where we can – change that formula, change that paradigm a little bit, and increase our sales in our production of our own goods versus importing everything from all kinds of countries all over the world. So he's got a, a big A-plus for that from me. Now, in foreign policy, I don't think there's any doubt that this guy's on the right track. He has, within 100 days sent a clear message to the Middle East and to the despots who are using chemical weapons and abusing their people and abusing each other with his strike on the Syrian air base. And I predicted that it would push up the stocks of the airline companies, the air manufacturers, because the Russians will want to produce more planes to sell to the Syrians since half of their air force is gone. And I'm sure the French and other people uh, are looking at the possibilities and the opportunities. I don't think that we will be able to sell anything, but just the the increase in business around the world is a good thing. Because it will leave opportunities for commercial production that comes from the United States to fill in gaps where other countries are uh, expending more energy and time and effort into manufacturing military planes, so I'm all for that. I think what he's doing with the Korean Peninsula is scary, but good. and I, I think that his approach to the Chinese has been spot on, and he's gotten the Chinese to change their tune, and instead of backing North Korea in our quest to Take the nuclear armaments off the peninsula. I think they're finally saying, you know what? This looks like a problem with the United States and North Korea. Instead of saying the problem is the United States and you guys need to sit down and work this out. And we may have to impose more sanctions right now. The Chinese apparently have uh, stopped buying coal or they've threatened to stop buying coal from North Korea, which is a big export for North Korea. Oh, my God. I wonder how many slaves they have working in coal mines to to meet that demand. Unbelievable. And so, as I've said before, the Chinese have become prisoners of their own propaganda in that they had painted the Americans over the past half a century as the aggressors in the Korean War and as using chemical weapons and other things that are prohibited by the Geneva Conventions, which, of course, is not true. And now they have to figure out how do you back down from this? And when they have the whole world saying to them, look, you don't want sanctions, do you? Because the Chinese, they need our business, and we can use that as a leverage. And we should, and we are. And I think the Trump people have done that exceptionally well. I think they've left everything on the table when it comes to North Korea and at the same time said we're happy to sit down on a one-on-one with Kim Jong-un and his leadership. If nothing else, we can show them that we don't want to destroy them. We want to disarm them, two different things, and that's what China is telling North Korea now. And I also think that we'll have an opportunity to, to show them some of the advances that we have in weaponry and why it would be silly for them to try and pick a fight with us in South Korea. And people say, well, don't they have all those big artillery pieces trained on Seoul, South Korea? Because Seoul is only about 20, 30 miles from the border. So you can reach it from North Korea with with an artillery piece, you know, a 105-millimeter shell or whatever. And all you have to do which Trump did is say we're sending the Carl Vinson aircraft carrier your way and all the North Koreans jump to the stations of the guns and you just park a satellite over top of that with an infrared signature and you see these bodies heat up where all these gun installations are, <laughs> you know where to where to shoot right away. And one of the doctors at the hospital said, well, how are they going to do that? And I said, the same way they took out all the tanks, the same way we did that in, in Iraq that we targeted, we knew where all the tanks were, and the first thing we did is we went and took them out as quickly as we could. So I don't want to see war on the Korean Peninsula. My in-laws are there. But I do want to see this guy disarmed. I don't want him to have nuclear weapons. I don't want Kim Jong-un to be running around the world with a nuclear missile in his pocket saying, look at me, I'm somebody important and I back the United States down. You know what? At it, it, any number of levels, this is not what we want. This is not good. Whether you're on the left or the right, it doesn't matter. What we need to do is make sure that the world is safe, not only for the South Koreans, but also for us and the Chinese as well. Let's not forget that the Koreans and the Chinese and the Manchuria area have been fighting over that territory since time immemorial. It's a, a difficult situation, but I think so far these guys are doing a good job. And as for ISIS, I think that we're sending the right message there. I agree with Trump. On the domestic front, he got... Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Hooray. This is a good guy who is more of a strict constructionist. He believes that you have to follow what the Constitution says and you can't just make law from the bench. Willy nilly. So I'm all for that. He's done a good job there. and He'll probably have another pick for the Supreme Court before it's all over. There are a lot of old people on the court that We're not going to be there much longer. So he's got my vote there. Trade and jobs. I mean, what can you say? The guy is going to town. I mean, he's created jobs. And you say, well, it's only 10 or 20,000 jobs. Yeah, but look at the ripple effect from that. You know, a family of four, you got 20,000. There's 100,000 people that benefit directly. Then you've got the periphery. You've got the baker and the butcher and the automaker and all the other people that this family of four rely upon, builders and city services and police forces and all the things that we need as human beings in this big modern society of virus. So you're already talking about hundreds of thousands of jobs from 20,000. I don't know how many is actually uh, produced or stimulated to to grow jobs, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And you say, well, these are penny ante things. Well, you know what? I don't think they're penny ante. Maybe they're nickel and dime, but nickel and dime, I'll take it. I'll take nickels and dimes. I'll take quarters. I'll take the loose change. I got a bucket, of quarters sitting on my desk from the Coke machine out front in the office. And it's $30, 40 $50. Hooray! I can hit a yard sale. I can go buy something at Home Depot. So I don't sniff at that. It's important. And I like what he's doing there. And I think he's doing a great thing. Now, as far as executive orders, he has so far signed more executive orders in the first 100 days than anybody except perhaps Franklin Roosevelt. George Washington signed a few dozen, and Roosevelt several thousand. And in between, we have all kinds of different numbers, but he's far exceeded anything that Bush one or Bush two did, or Obama or Clinton. And that means he's looking at things, and he's talking, and he's thinking. Works for me. That's what I want. I want somebody that's in there and active and hustling and and doing the job that we hired him to do. So from that perspective, I'm a big fan. Now, what about immigration? Well, in addition to the missile attack or the, uh, yeah, I guess you call them cruise missile attack on the air base in Syria, he's also identified 200-plus people In Syria that are banned from traveling to the United States they can't get in here and even the Democrats in Congress are quietly saying yahoo you keep it up bud and you haven't heard a big outcry about that because they're the scumbags that have been in collusion with the regime in Syria to kill their own people with chemical weapons and to wage war on civilians And to arm ISIS, yeah, that's right. That's who armed ISIS initially was, the Syrian regime. And so we've we've got this mess in Syria. Is it a huge mess? By our standards, no. Could it become bigger? Yeah, of course it could become bigger. You've got big countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia that are right there and have a dog in the fight. So... First thing is you let them know that we mean what we say when we put down a a line in the sand. And the line in the sand that Trump has drawn, actually Obama drew it but just didn't do anything about it. Trump just came in and and did what had to be done. The, The line had been crossed. And once that line had been crossed, which Obama and the Democrats drew, he did what had to be done. And I think it makes a big statement. I think it tells the world that, you know what, we're not out to pick a fight with anybody, but we're not putting up with this kind of nonsense where we have indiscriminate killing with nerve gas by a rogue regime, whether it's Al-Assad or ISIS or whoever it is, we're not going to put up with this. And the notion that we use chemical weapons in Korea during the Korean War is nonsense, I knew people that served in the Korean War. I had a professor who was an intelligence officer during the Korean War. I've never heard of any chemical use by the United States or any of its allies in the war in Korea. And I haven't heard it from any South Koreans either. And and it's... And it's uh, uh, something that we need to hammer home to our own people and to the world because I even hear it from the, from the interns that they say, oh, yeah, right, if they use chemical weapons, so did we. No, we didn't. I do not know of any time in our history where we used chemical weapons in warfare. Now, it may have happened, and I don't know about it, but I'm old enough that I knew a few World War I veterans I certainly knew a lot of World War II veterans. Oh, by the way, from both sides, I've had patients who fought in the Nazi army. I've had patients that fought in the American army, the Canadian army, British, all different people. I had one Hungarian patient, neat guy. Hungary was part of the, uh, the Axis as part of fascist Germany and Italy and that gang. And so soldiers from Hungary were detached to fight with the Nazis in the Eastern Theater against the Russians. And when the Russians were surrounding the German armies at Stalingrad, the Hungarian army took off. They ran. They knew what was going to happen. And then when the Russians pushed the Germans back and took, took over Hungary, a lot of the guys that were fighting on the German side were now, drafted to fight on the Russian side. So he fought on both sides in World War II. So I knew a lot of people. And I've talked to a lot of people all over the world. I love it. I have never heard of us using chemical weapons. So I'm I'm behind this guy, Trump, 100%. Now, what about the, the southern border? Well, just saying that we're coming after you and sending our ICE guys out to scoop up these illegals that are here, especially the ones who are committing crimes and causing havoc, has greatly diminished the flow across our southern border, even without a wall being built. And you say, well, I don't believe it. It's it's that's just baloney. No, it's true, really. I mean, there's a big psychological impact I've had Mexicans that worked for me and they went back home and they call me and I asked them if they're going to come back anytime they say, no, it's too difficult to get across the border. Now it's too dangerous and you're more likely to get caught and be sent right back to Mexico. And then you've spent thousands of dollars because you have to get a coyote, a, a guide, which are just gang members that will bring you across the desert from Mexico to the U S border. So I know it's working. I know it's working because I've, been in that position of hiring people who do physical labor, and, and I know who's available and who isn't. So I can only say that a lot of what I predicted, and you can back me up on this bill, that this president is is doing and saying what I thought he would. And agreed. And uh, you know I don't have any problems, and 98% of us who voted for him feel that he's doing the right thing and we're going to give him time. And so I'm I'm just, uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And I think that he's going to be good for the country. Is he going to be perfect? Well, I don't think so, but we'll see. Bill, we bet out of time. Oh, we got 20 seconds left. Well, this is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. And I appreciate you guys being here with me this morning. And I'm looking forward to the Derby. And I'll bring you back a full report next week. So you stick in there. Hang in there, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Well, all right now. Here
0: we go. Gather around the auctions. Going to start right here. Look at this. Here we go. Hey, 100, 200.